Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information to help you achieve a successful retirement. I'm your co-host, John McComb, and it's my pleasure to join Lori Pinkowski every two weeks to talk about financial and estate planning, travel, hobbies, and so much more. Whether you are planning for retirement or already living your retirement dreams, Ready, Set, Retire is for you. Lori, with each passing year, the importance of maintaining fitness and overall well-being becomes increasingly evident, especially as we navigate the journey through retirement. Exactly, John. You know, many of my clients embrace the golden years by staying active and really prioritizing fitness, which really is vital for a fulfilling and, and healthy retirement. Well, I'm excited today because on Ready, Set, Retire, we are joined by Sheila Hamilton from Sheila Hamilton Movement Garden to speak on how retirees can not only stay active, but thrive both physically and mentally as they age gracefully. And uh, as a plug, I will say that Sheila Hamilton has been a part of my life for many years. She was my trainer while I was still working uh, on the radio and, uh, in fact, is still my trainer today. And on top of that, I get to talk to two of my favorite women, Lori Pinkowski and Sheila Hamilton, both at the same time. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. You got to keep lots of ladies around you to keep you financially and healthy and uh, and fit. Absolutely. <laughs> So as a former registered nurse turned personal trainer, obviously she has a wealth of information, but she's dedicated to ongoing learning and her expertise is a strong first level two. Jira fuels her passion for helping others. So welcome, Sheila. It's great to see you. Thank you so much, both John and Lori, for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here and speak about something I'm very passionate about. Indeed. Well, let's start off with uh, with an easy lob. First, why is fitness particularly important for seniors? Well, it's of my belief that over the last 20 to 30 years, when we look at the aging population, we see the statistics of seniors falling and the risks associated with falling. And uh, I'd like to say that in the last 20 to 30 years, unfortunately, I don't think it's become mainstream how to improve your balance and strength and conditioning so that we reduce the risk of falling, which is associated with a cascade of problems, shall we say, once you fall. And unfortunately, the risk of death after you fall is uh, greatly increased. So I think this is a particularly important topic because we are living longer, but not necessarily with a good quality of life. And uh, as the aging population grows, we do have to individually take care of our own health because relying on assisted walking and then assisted living is just uh, the numbers and statistics that we have for assisted living spaces don't equate with the number of people that are aging. And so we're gonna have a lot of people that are at a loss for somewhere to live and they can't take care of themselves. Well, definitely, I mean, I've seen uh, a lot of falls with clients over the years and uh, and even my Oma recently fractured her pelvis uh, with a fall and that has drastically changed her quality of life uh, in the last six months. So I definitely hear where you're coming from. And Sheila, in what ways do fitness programs or classes tailored for retirees differ from traditional fitness programs? Yes, well, I think that when we look at assessing clients and making a program that, if you want to sort of say it's age appropriate, 
we look at the goals, like, you know, whether we're talking about programming for an individual or a group client or a theme of a class that might be movement longevity or a private training session where the client has some particular restrictions, perhaps with their hips or their knees or their shoulders or neck, you know, uh, how it differs is not that different, actually, than somebody who's not aging, because you want to look at the total program, make sure that it's balanced, that it's weighted between the different variables of body groups and major movement patterns. You want to make sure that there's some cardiovascular health. And I mean, I, I suppose if you sort of say, how does it differ? Maybe the exercises might be modified based on the fitness level, their past injuries, any pain that they might experiencing and that kind of thing. And I think in my experience anyway, when I'm working with the 50 plus, usually I'm finding that there's a great interest in learning about movement and exercise and what specifically can I do for improving my balance or improving my hip mobility, because we know that these things are associated with uh, circling back to loss of balance and falling. So yeah, I mean, like the sort of bare bones of the program is the same because that's good. It's well-balanced, but there are some always unique differences when we're working with individuals and classes. So uh, what are the misconceptions uh, about fitness and aging that, that you run into, especially among people who perhaps haven't been to the gym or uh, they haven't worked out, but now they're retired and they have some time and we get an idea of the gym in our heads and it's a bunch of muscle-bound guys, you know, pushing weights, but it's not, <laughs> it's not really like that. Or doesn't have to be. That's not you, John? No, Are you that's sure? Not, <laughs> not me. Well, there's there's two ways of looking at that. You know, I think if you think that a program might be too hard for you, so that is a misconception in that you think I can't do those things because they're gonna move too fast. I might hurt myself. I'm not at a fitness level that I can manage. Or conversely, it's too easy, you know, oh, that's for people who you don't want to be associated with quite yet. And, uh, you know, when you kind of think about movement longevity, I like to say that wherever you're at in your fitness journey, have a broad sense of planning for the decades ahead. So if you have some ankle mobility issues, maybe you had an old ankle injury or you've got some old back issues, you haven't trained your core to get those back issues not talking to you at certain times of the day. Decades ahead, that means like a little bit slowly at an appropriate level will get you to where you want to be. And there's just workarounds for everything now. We now know how to train hips properly, and we now know how to improve shoulder mobility, but it takes time. It took time to get that way and to get tight. And I think that being reserved because you think that something's going to hurt you or that you might do the wrong thing is something that really a lot of older people might be thinking. But, you know, fitness has come a long way in the last 20 years, and we're full of information and research, and we want movement improvement for everyone at all, all ages. I just wish that I'd had a lot of the information I know now 20, 30 years ago myself. And to that end, if you have family or friends that are in that younger age group, I mean, that's the time that they as well should start addressing these movement issues because, now, like I mentioned, we kind of know what to do. We know what to do to fix them, and we know what to do to prevent them. At any age, you want to be looking at doing some fitness, building your strength, building a stronger version of yourself, what I like to say. I definitely agree, uh, Sheila, and, and this week more than ever, as I was 
ice skating for the first time in many, many years with my family for family day. And I seem to have pulled a muscle in my hip. So my hip mobility must not be up to par. So I definitely agree with you starting early, even though I do do a lot of fitness, obviously not stretching enough or something. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I agree with you, you know, starting early, starting younger, getting in those good habits will take you uh, into those later years much more easily. Well, I was just going to say our environment has changed, you know, with work and learning. And not only we have more sitting for a lot of people's professions, you know, there's the commute, there's the television and the gaming and you know, in school, the kids have to sit. So our environment has changed and maybe our bodies haven't quite so much. So we sort of lock in postural changes with repetitive stress and repetitive postures. And I think that affects everyone at all ages. You know, you see young children, five-year-olds and 10-year-olds kind of locked into their iPads and they're going to be having these musculoskeletal and postural changes through their neck and shoulders a lot earlier than even sort of my kids' age group, 25 to 30, And like as a 60 plus, you know, we've had some postural changes, but not necessarily related to as long a a period of time uh, in front of technology than our current younger generations are facing. So I feel like this needs to be addressed now. And if your clients have children and grandchildren, I really think it should be something that they're thinking about helping them change. Yeah, I agree. You know, I have a five-year-old and him on his iPad, I always tell him to stretch his neck, you know, look up for a bit. But you're right with sitting and so on. And we're lucky at at work now we have these desks that can be raised. So uh, my team and I can stand while working here and there. And that's great. Yeah, having that kind of focus uh, moving forward is important. And we're going to be moving to a new building actually can't accord and we're going to have a gym downstairs so uh you know everybody will be getting their fitness intake i'm hoping that's wonderful yes so what advice do you have for older adults who may find it challenging to get started or stay motivated with fitness so i think this is probably something for everybody you know make taking that first step but also staying committed to it come january everybody gets excited but how do you stick with it throughout summer and into fall and those winter months I think a motivation to get started and stick with something starts small. Sometimes when you're highly unmotivated, you really almost just have to talk yourself into some sort of action before motivation comes, right? You know, you just have to do it. And it's looking at the bigger picture and all the variables that affect our health. And it's easy to say I'm a personal trainer and I can tell you some movement stuff that we've been sort of focusing on hip mobility or loss of balance, but it's like peeling back the layers of what will that on a health perspective get you if you can walk faster and if walking helps your mental health, that's great. And if your mental health improves, do you make some slightly better nutritional choices? And then in turn, would you have a better sleep and developing a sleep routine that's related to things that you might do at night that could include some mobilization, some breathing practice. So all of these things together slowly give you results. So you don't silo uh, fitness away from our mental and physical health. It's so interconnected now. Uh, You know, that's an easy answer to say to everything. Everything is connected. But I do believe that when you start to feel the benefits of some movement to your health, the benefits are so abundant that the motivation comes in time. It almost becomes addictive after a while. In a healthy sort of way, yes. When walking speed slows, so does your circulation. And so, you know, as a predictor of longevity, walking speed is important. 
And then you might break that down to, well, are you are having problems with your feet? Do you have toe issues, foot issues, foot pain, loss of arches? These kind of things may seem like not a big deal if you're 20 or 30 and running or 40. But when you start getting into your 50s and 60s and 70s and you start having foot pain and walking becomes a problem, it's hard to find to circle back the motivation to get out the door. So it's like breaking it down into, okay, well, let's prioritize getting your feet feeling better so that you can have a walk without experiencing pain. And nobody's motivated to go out and exercise or eat better when they don't have something to visualize for themselves. And I think that's one thing I know I'm pretty good at is giving people hope for the future because I feel the body is always trying to heal. It's always trying to improve. And age is not restrictive of getting stronger. You can build a stronger version of yourself at any age. And I'd like to challenge you all to do that. Great. Thanks, Sheila. Let's talk uh, about the social aspect or are there social aspects of being in a fitness program? Is it something that people like to share with other people? Is it a component in fitness or do you <laughs> yeah. find that it tends to be pretty much one-on-one? Now, how long did you say we had for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... This is the uh, Coles Notes version. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh I'm going to say that, of course, the social connection and uh, personal connections that you can form with fitness are great. And they can be, you know, they can be here back to a motivating factor to get you there. Certainly, my experience with connection and community and fitness has changed over the years and particularly since the pandemic. So John has known me long enough to know I used to own a gym and For eight years, I saw and witnessed what uh, getting physically into a gym, into a physical space brought. And uh, that community and connection was strong. And I feel really proud of that. As it turns out, it wasn't in the cards for the gym to uh, make it through the pandemic. So after closing the gym and starting to work online, one of the criticisms, I guess, that that I've I've experienced is like, oh, there's no social personal contact. So I've worked hard at creating a community online of like-minded people, and we're opening the sessions 10 minutes before the class, so there is time for some interaction. And I found that even though it is in a virtual environment, for the most part, there is a community that's being formed with this method of training. That being said, I think there's a place for in-person classes. I do coach a few in-person classes now, again, although I don't have a space to host people. I go to other spaces, but I think it's important to think that there could even be a blend of this. You know, there's an advantage to having a fitness class in your home where you don't have to drive or park anywhere. There's some connection there, but also finding a class that you are attracted to, the time-wise, you know, the distance that you drive, et cetera, and the like-minded folks and the trainers, of course, the coaches. We develop relationships with the people that are um, role modeling for us, and I think that that again, is a motivating factor. And can you share some tips for preventing injuries during exercise for this age group? Yes. Well, when we go into fitness, no matter whether you're a well-seasoned gym person or home exercise person, there is always the risk of injury. And sometimes we don't think of that because, you know, well, we're doing weights and we want to get stronger, but we don't take into consideration the postural changes that happen as we age the factors that are influencing our health, including medications. And, you know, a big one is actually old injuries that you think you have rehabilitated, but aren't quite there. 
and everything from lunging with good alignment so you're not hurting your back or you know your knee and and that kind of thing that making sure that all of your basic movement patterns are pretty good and not tweaking anything and by taking up exercises that are too loaded before you're ready to load body weight is weight so as we check movement patterns like what we'd call a squat pattern a hinge pattern a lunge pattern a row pattern or a push pattern like a push pattern could be a plank hold or a push-up these patterns are basic blocks of building a balanced program and so when you want to not injure yourself you want to make sure that you can hold a plank before you do a push-up you know that your shoulder mobility is strong enough to hold a weight overhead and if your shoulder mobility is not there and you press a weight overhead you could be taking it in your back or taking it in your neck and this is where you create injuries while you're trying to get healthy so to prevent injuries I think that was the question. You can tell I like talking about this stuff, eh, you guys? <laughs> but to prevent injuries, you want to make sure that you work on movement, range of motion, and in constantly improving your mobility and strength. And it's as simple as that. And that for your ankle, it's doing some ankle mobility drills, you know, for your hip, the same. And now we have great tools like balls and rollers that we can help to self-release some of the areas that get tight as we age, as well as involving other practitioners like massage therapists and physiotherapists and chiropractors and all those other great people out there <laughs> that aren't in a trainer's scope of practice. I know that over the years you have taken a great interest in diet and how diet affects uh, people's health and how it affects their fitness. And I think especially so if one wants to age in a, in a healthy way. So have any dietary recommendations for older adults in sort of a broad stroke approach? Yeah, thanks, John, for mentioning the nutrition piece, because if we want to build a stronger version of ourselves, which I think we've laid the, the foundation and groundwork for why those might be good, you can't get stronger without being nutritionally supported, right? So... As we age, most people's metabolism goes down, and so their appetite can go down. Their social circumstances can change where they're not necessarily around so many people. Their appetite's down. They might be cooking for themselves. I mean, I'm probably hitting on a few different buttons just thinking about different clients that I work with. And we talk about motivation to exercise. Well, what about motivation to eat properly? And also the costs associated with that. We hear that a lot in the news about how expensive groceries are. And so, yes, like, you know, taking into those considerations, I think that eating fresh, whole grains, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and trying to be mostly plant-based are good starting points for all nutrition. As we age, the sort of protein question comes up a lot because older adults have something we call sarcopenia, which is just a fancy name for age-related muscle loss. And uh, if we're not nutritionally supporting our bodies with protein, we draw on our own muscles to be broken down and be used, the building blocks of those muscles to be used for other priorities, such as immunity, you know, antibodies and hormones. So people think of protein sometimes just being associated with muscles, but there's a lot of other things that our bodies draw on those amino acids, those building blocks of muscle for. So as we age, 
you could go to various resources and say, well, how much protein should I be getting? And that's uh, somewhat variable. And it's something that as a nutrition professional, I can talk to people about. I think protein is worth taking a look at. And that's not necessarily eating more animal proteins as we get more and more into animal proteins and the effect that they have on the bodies. I think it's pretty clear that we need to be reducing the amount of meat that we're eating. And so how do you, if you're a meat and potatoes person, and uh, I was because I was raised on like an animal protein around every meal, then it's like trying to help coach people to have some alternatives a few times a week that they enjoy every bit as much as those protein animal sources. But, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, getting your vitamins through food, like food is medicine kind of tagline that we're hearing now. This is especially important for seniors. And uh, I think that it's a great question because there are a lot of challenges that face proper nutrition these days. And so I I'm there with everyone trying to navigate this nutrition world myself. Just as people are aging, just a question, especially women and their bones and, you know, there's thoughts of hormone therapy or even supplements for men or for women as they age, uh, taking testosterone, things like that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Lori, that's a good question because that comes up a lot. And, you know, bone density is something that fractures and loss of physicality back to the increasing the risk of falling. As a personal trainer, it is not in my scope of practice to recommend supplements. We can have that conversation. And then like I think that uh, the way that it's best worked around is that some of these supplements can help you and that the professionals that are licensed to prescribe them or recommend them, even you know, as, as naturopaths and, and your physician, of course, would be the way to go. There's certainly a lot of choices now. Some of them are definitely pharmaceutical-based. I have a lot of clients that have been trying different things, but hey, when it comes back to what is in the scope of practice, you can build bone density through resistance training. And so that's another win, right? Like it's like, it seems like kind of in a way to me, like not funny, haha, but in a way like it all comes back to your ability to challenge your body and get some adaptations and from bone density to preventing muscle loss to blood sugar control and insulin resistance. Like we could just go down your gut health, your gut microbiome health. Like it's so exciting, but guess what? The answers are, are pretty much all going to be benefited from some degree of strength training. Of course, of course. And so Sheila, where can our listeners get more information if they want to start working with you? And uh, as you had mentioned, you do a lot, uh, a lot online. Do you do anything in person now, or is it almost always online? And and John, I wouldn't mind hearing from you too, just what your experience is online and and how that works for you as a client of uh, of Sheila's. It's worked well for me. I have uh, motivation issues, and it seems <laughs> that uh, I only get motivated when something starts to hurt my hip or my back or whatever it happens to be. And I make the rounds of the chiropractor and the massage therapist and physio and all of that. And then I finally decide that, well, the only thing that's ever really worked for me is to talk to Sheila and uh, she comes up with a plan and that tends to sort me out. So I think her classes are great and you can take them virtually any day of the week. So they certainly fit in uh, schedule wise. And yeah, I've had a, a lot of relief of pain from working out with Sheila, whether it's online or whether it's in person. She's a great trainer. She's always learning. In fact, she's going to, I think it's uh, Chicago soon, 
for uh, yet another conference. So she's always out there looking around for the best and the latest thing that's happening in fitness and health. So that's my general recommendation. Thanks for your insight, John. (laughs) Yeah, you're so sweet. Constant learning about this movement game is really inherent to what I, my purpose, I guess, is a better way of putting it now. As I explained earlier, things have changed in that I don't currently have a facility to host clients. I have got to the point where I've been going out, you know, early in the pandemic days, we weren't doing that because of the various reasons around that. And now uh, things are opening up and getting back to some classes. I teach private classes that are out and about still at this point. So if anybody wanted to host a private class, I'd be interested to that. I have a small space in my home where I'm doing clients one-on-one and that's working well. We're running, I think, 15 classes online a week. Myself and my colleague are teaching those. And to the uh, continued learning point, I'm going to Chicago this week to the American College of Sports Medicine is combining their conference with ideal personal trainers to try and bridge the gap between what the sports medicine professionals want the fitness professionals to do. I think that, you know, although it sounds self-serving as far as like the plug for the classes and this and that go, I, I really think that there's value in doing and starting very small. And if you can get a few things that are going to move you in the right direction and you are having some limitations or you're concerned about your hips or your ankles, you know, seek a professional to start building out a plan, which is your roadmap to success. I encourage people to be patient with the plan because that little bit of consistency is going to win you down the road. And I hope that everyone that's listening doesn't feel that they have to take a class to get stronger, but I'm a big fan of walking. I've really upped my walking practice in the last few years and I don't want anybody to feel so restricted that they can't go for a decent walk. And I hope that that answers your question. (laughs) Well, still, how how do they get a hold of you if they want to talk to you or even start a class? Oh, thanks, Laura. You're so so good. Uh, My website is SheilaHamilton.ca. And uh, I write blogs. There's some blogs there about movement longevity and motivation and, uh, you know, lifestyle modifications. Are you winning them or losing them? And uh, so that's really my business card, that SheilaHamilton.ca website. And the Sheila Hamilton Movement Garden is aimed at sort of three principles where I try to cultivate health, lift your spirits, and grow your strength. And I hope that those three principles are touch points for anybody who wants to build a stronger version of themselves with me or my colleagues. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Excellent. So it's pretty clear, I think, that prioritizing fitness in retirement is essential for maintaining overall health and well-being. Yeah, whether it's embracing tailored fitness programs, staying motivated, or focusing on proper nutrition, obviously Sheila's expertise has shown us that aging gracefully is within reach for many. Sheila, again, thank you for sharing your insights on fitness with us today. We really appreciate it. I know our listeners definitely appreciate it. And hopefully this gives them uh, that motivation to uh, get going and get moving.
Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Of course. Well, we're not too far apart, actually. You know, when you talk about having a plan for fitness, John, how many times have I talked about having a financial plan for your financial health, right? So, you know, we're, we're actually talking the same talk here, Sheila. <laughs> yeah, fi- financial longevity and movement longevity. There's really good tie-ins. There really is. There really is. So, yes, John, you have your two ladies here talking about your two favorite subjects, I think. Exactly. You know, you're looking after my money. Sheila's looking after, you know, strength and health and perfect to prevent me from falling down and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yes. it's perfect. Yeah. Now, before you go, Sheila, we like to uh, always like to end up with a quote or a thought. Uh, what do you have for us before we get out of here? I work on the principle of lifting spirits through movement is really one of the things that I think has been the most touching for me uh, since the pandemic. But I think that the the actual proof is in a lot of the research that links our mental health to these um, lifestyle modifications, which include movement and fitness, sleep, stress management, and nutrition. And so, yeah, I guess just know that there's a lot of people out there that don't feel motivated and need their spirits lifted and that you're not alone in this journey of trying to uh, live your best, uh, healthiest version of yourself. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on with Lori and I here on Ready, Set, Retire. And Lori, we will uh, catch up again and do this in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Nice chatting with you both. And thanks again for the insight, Sheila. You're very welcome. Thank you. I hope to come on again sometime. Take care. And that's a wrap for this week's edition of Ready, Set, Retire. If you're interested in learning more or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management, 604-695-LORI, 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and join us again in two weeks for another edition of Ready, Set, Retire. The comments and opinions expressed in this podcast are the result of work done by Lori Pinkowski. They may differ from the opinion of Canaccord Genuity's research and should not be considered as representative of Canaccord's beliefs, opinions, or recommendations. All views expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the CIPF and IROC.